Having spent 14 years in the corporate jungle with IT behemoths like IBM, SAP, Wipro and GBM in Dubai and the last four building two non-IT brands as a first generation entrepreneur, Brainbox is a podcast that is focused around leadership. I will be interviewing very successful people on the show in an honest, unscripted chat so we can learn from the experiences and gain valuable insights. With an audience spread over 12 countries, it's only fitting that my guests will be from at least five different countries and will encompass all the key functions, sales, technology, marketing, or the very critical human resources function. I'm Kaushik Bose and welcome to The Brain Box. So today's a very special episode on Brainbox. I've had guests from a couple of countries outside India, a couple of fellow podcasters, an author, and even a leadership coach. But this is the first time I have a guest who is all of the above. He's none other than Brandon Eastman. Brandon is the founder of Be Better and helps performance-driven leaders break through their limitations, perform at their peak, and achieve their biggest goals. A very warm welcome to the show, Brandon, and thanks for having taken out the time. Thank you for the opportunity, Kashik. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Same here. So I inf- let's start off right from the beginning. I know you're a man with a mission. Um, you're, you're running the uh, Be Better organization as a whole. So let's start from there. So what's your mission and how are you going about it? Yeah, my mission is if you think about the people who make the largest impact in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's those people who are creating services and products and experiences to help other people to live a great life, whether it's a product that will enhance their quality of life, a product that will help them escape the day-to-day to to life, right? And my mission is to help those people who create those products and services, sales professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners, to help them reach more people and serve those people at a greater level. Because I'd say my overarching mission is I want to help people to live an extraordinary life. And my best way of doing that is to reach those sales professionals who are making it happen. Excellent. So kicking it right from there, actually. Uh, so for example, you, I'm a sales guy myself, and uh, I love that you also have a sales background. But unfortunately, I think it's a kind of a misconception or an apprehension people usually have as soon as they hear the word sales, you know, they're like, oh, he's a sales guy, he's going to try and send, you know, probably a, a winter suit to an Eskimo or something like <laughs> that sort. So, but I think uh, from my experience also that I've had, I have seen that it's primarily comes down to, you know, that you're able to get a solution. It can be anything. It can be an IT solution or a ROI on the money, whatever. But it's something by which it needs to have a fitment. So how important do you think this is, especially when it comes to sales? I would, I think it's very important. And to touch on what you said a second ago, I used to ask rooms of salespeople when I was helping to train them. I used to ask the question, how do you believe you're perceived by the people who buy from you? And they said things like, oh, you know, they see me as friendly. They see me as helpful. And I asked the question, okay, well, let me ask you, when you go to buy a car, when you go to make any major purchase, when you walk into any retail or sales location, what are your first predominant and primal thoughts about that person who's going to be helping you? And their answers changed. The answers became like what you said, someone who's going to pull a fast one on me, someone who's shady, someone who's thinking of themselves, selfish, commission. And we have this taboo of sales in our culture, especially the American culture. And with good reason. I mean, if you look at sales books from the 70s, from the 80s, from the 90s, for three decades, these sales books talk about different techniques, 
different verbal ways of speaking that will influence the other person's brain at the level that they don't even consciously realize to get them to make a decision that you want them to make. And it's just sleazy. It goes back to that whole, you know, suit and tie look, you know, slicked back car salesman hair, right? And the reality is the greatest salespeople are actually the opposite of the stigma that is presented to them and perceived by society. The greatest salespeople, and I've had many salespeople on my show as well, and they all say the same things. The greatest salespeople are focused on serving the other person. You know, Bob Berg, I don't, have you ever heard of the book Go-Giver? Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. So Bob Berg is the author of The Go-Giver. It's a famous business and sales book. Yes. And it doesn't talk about techniques for sales. It doesn't talk about ways to get a one-up on someone. It talks about one simple concept when it comes to sales and products, which is give, 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 over-deliver, give sure. so much value that the person you're giving the value to says to themselves, wow, I paid $2,000 for this service, but I've gotten over 20, 30, 40, $50,000 in value and detention. And, and this person cares about sure. me. So it's this stigma that you and I, with our shows and our conversations are working to change because I believe it is changing, but I believe it's up to us in order to change and move that needle further in the direction it needs to go. Perfect. I think another very important aspect is also around that you're able to actually deliver what you're promising because you find lots of them, as you mentioned, right? You can promise the world and then you just disappear. And that actually leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the customer as well, because he's very apprehensive the next time around. So, um, of course, uh, it was by accident that I, of course, entered sales because probably I'm at heart, I'm an introvert, to be honest. So how many, Same. so since, oh, that's interesting because yeah. I believe you were a, true blue salesman right from the beginning. So, but it, that's interesting to know. So what's your take on the, you know, how an introvert fits into the sales uh, profiles? You know, I, I was a natural salesperson all through my life and it's not because I knew how to talk or talk fast or talk in the right way. It's because I've always been an educator. I've always enjoyed teaching from a very young age. And first of all, I believe that 1% of people are born as a natural salesperson. I believe everybody can be great at sales. In fact, everybody is in sales. We're selling every single day of our life. But since a very young age for me, being an introvert, I've always loved learning. I've always loved to read. I remember in high school, especially while lunch was in session, all my friends would be around the lunch table. I went to the library and brought my lunch with me. The librarian actually allowed me to bring my lunch to the library and read while I ate my lunch. And I did that every single day for years. I was reading fiction at that time, obviously. And that transitioned to nonfiction where I was actually learning new skills, learning new insights, philosophies, being around all these ideas of high achievers that I was reading in these books. But I've always been an educator. And something that I, I would say to those listening is when it comes to sales, when it comes to you really fitting into your purpose, like what you talked about earlier with Fitment, it comes down to what have you always been great at since you were a young age? What have you always been interested in? I've always been interested in education. I've always been interested in teaching. I remember I used to come home from school and the first thing I would do is run up the stairs into the living room and I would immediately corner my dad while he was in the reclining chair. And I'd say, I'm going to tell you everything interesting that I learned at school today. And he would sit there for 20 minutes and just let me expound on him everything that I learned <laughs> that day, all the interesting things. And by me teaching, it helped me to retain that information even more. And that 
evolved into my teenage years, into my first sales career when I was 18 years old. I loved learning about cool things. And that's why I, it's, it's paramount and it's a necessity that you love your product, that you understand your product, that you own your product. And if you're offering a service, like what you said about delivering the service, you have to be an expert. Right. And if you don't believe you're yet an expert, then that's going to change what you charge for your service. It's going to change who you help with your service at the level you help them. And that's okay. You've got to start somewhere. But you maybe shouldn't charge, you know, twenty thousand dollars for a coaching service for the year if that's your first client and you're not quite sure what results you can get. But the fact is I loved my product and service and I loved teaching other people about it. And as an introvert, you probably relate to this. We're really good listeners. True. Right. And I think that's why we have shows because we love asking questions and listening and learning from other people. And the more you can learn about the person across the desk from you or the person across the Zoom call, the more you're going to be able to solve that person's problem. So introversion is actually a strength, in my opinion. I believe a lot of extroverts, they're talkers, 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 always just trying to dominate the conversation. And if in sales you're dominating the conversation, then I can guarantee your sales numbers aren't that high. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a brilliant point you've uh, raised right there. So not good news for the extroverts, but of course they have their advantages. But yes. They can learn too, though. They can become better at listening. It's just something that they have to consciously recognize and say to themselves, I'm going to be conscious that when I ask a question, I won't be thinking of the response in my head while the other person is explaining the answer. I'll actually listen to this human being. And even when they finish, if I don't have an immediate thing to say, that's okay because I was present with them and I listened to them. It's something that they can learn. Absolutely. Perfect. So coming back to the point around the enablement. So I think uh, you are, of course, an excellent uh, trainer as well. So you have been leading lots of teams as well in your past uh, professions as well. So when it comes down to the, I mean, having been an individual contributor in sales in the past, so it's always been, you know, about me that you just get your numbers in and, you know, to hell with the rest. But as soon as you become a manager, I think that entire mindset has to change. So how easy or difficult is it for you, especially from an enablement perspective? So when you're teaching, I mean, when you're training, let's say a leader and a normal sales rep. It's a completely different skill set. And let me tell you, when I was 21, I had been in sales now for three years professionally. Mm -hmm. I was one of the top earners on the sales team. I was earning over six figures at 18, 19, 20 years old. And I was a cocky kid who only thought about myself and only thought about my sales numbers. (laughs) Yeah, right. I feel like a lot of us at the beginning are like, wow, look how good I am at this, right? But when when it comes to teaching other people, it's a completely different skill set. And I kind of fell into leadership by accident. I never went into sales saying, I want to train salespeople. I started to train salespeople and realized how much I loved it. But I realized in order to help other people, two things have to be a constant. The first thing when you become a leader is your own sales numbers need to be there. Your own competency needs to be there. You must be the expert. You must be not just the expert, but you must be the role model. Like I talk about health and fitness and lifestyle. And if I was trying to teach someone lifestyle and health and fitness, but I'm overweight, I'm obese, it's going to be very difficult for that person to take my word. They're going to be like, well, how can you tell me to do this when you're overweight, right? I remember going to Planet Fitness one time. And this isn't judgment. This is just an observation. Planet Fitness, by the way, is a, a, a chain of gyms in the United States. It's a big yep. corporate chain. Mm-hmm. And 
the trainer that was helping this person work out next to me was this extremely overweight individual, very happy individual, very nice individual, very kind. But if you're going to be teaching somebody how to do something, you must be the example. That's the first constant. And the second constant is shedding as much of this, this ego that you have when it comes to helping other people. And this isn't something I recognize until years into leadership, right? But when it comes to shedding the ego, it's shedding this idea that I am superior, this idea that I am the only person to help this person, the idea that you must do things my way. The reality is every single person is unique. Every single person is going to have their own process. I've met people who were the complete opposite of me, who were just as successful in sales as me, who had a completely different process. And I learned from them. They learned from me. So there must be two constants. You must be the role model when you shift from salesperson into a leader. I believe management and leadership is different. And you must also care about the other person. And it sounds obvious, but you really have to get to know the people that you're leading. If you don't know their goals, if you don't know their dreams, if you don't know their strengths, if you don't know their shortcomings, then there's no way you're going to be able to lead that person because leading by example is 80% of it. But the 20% that helps you to tailor your solution to the people you're leading comes down to you understanding them at such a primal level True. that you can help them achieve anything. And again, that comes with trust. It comes with a lot of other factors, but I believe those are the two constants. Fantastic. And since uh, so what are the top three traits that you probably feel are important for a sales leader? Wow. Great question. I would say number one, communication. And I believe all these go, go with each other. The three that I'm about to explain communication has to be there. I've met so many people who could have been great leaders, but they never communicated in the proper way with their people. If there was a problem between two of the people on their team, they didn't know how to have a conversation with those two people. They would say, Oh, just figure it out right? It's like, no, if there's a problem, if there's a conflict, then you need to sit them down together. You might not be, you're the mediator. You're not the person running the entire conversation, but you have to be able to have those tough conversations as a leader. And you must communicate. You must communicate what's going well, which is what a lot of leaders do, but you have to also be able to communicate when things aren't going well. Absolutely. I think that's super important. Mm -hmm. The second, I believe, goes with the first one is transparency. I believe it's very important to be transparent about your own shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to, when I first became a leader, Kaushik, I had no idea what I was doing. I was asked to train people. Mm -hmm. And it was at the point where I had, I had now earned the trust of my sales team, which was about 16 or 17 people, probably more people than I should have been over. Because realistically, back in the days, in, in ancient times, we had tribes, right? We were around... 10 to 12 people at most that we were directly quote unquote responsible for. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I did the only thing that I knew. I went to each person and I asked them, how can I help you? Hmm. And they said, wow, you know, I've never actually had someone here ask me that. And I said, how can I help you to go from where you are to where it is you want to go? And many of them, number one, didn't even know where they wanted to go. Hmm. But just me being that listening ear for them was comfort for them to know that they had people in their corner. 
And it was also important for me to be transparent in what I wasn't good at, right? I'm not the details-oriented, analytical-minded person. I'm the person who looks at where you are, looks at where you want to go, and attacks it and just takes action and adjusts my approach. But my partner, when I was a new hire sales leader of all the new hires in New York State, he was the opposite of me. And he was analytical. He was a deep thinker. So my explosiveness and his laid backness and his reflection, his ability to reflect, we complemented each other. So being transparent about what you're great at, but what you're not great at is very important. So communication, transparency. And I believe the third one is, obviously, I, I didn't even say it, but it's, it's an obvious one, integrity. You have to, number one, practice what you preach, which goes back to what we talked about earlier. But you have to be honest with your sales team. So that, that's a given. But the third one I'd say is relevant for all sales professionals and all leaders. And I believe we're all leaders in some areas of our life, with or without the title. The sure. third one is growth. You mm -hmm. have to be focused on constant growth, improving in those areas that you're not great at, but more so focusing on what you're good at and becoming a master in those areas that you're good at. And then letting other people around you fill in the gaps of what you're not great at. This is the importance of building a strong team around you. Perfect. Perfect. And what's the single most important trait that you'd feel is critical when you are looking for a hire, especially in the sales team? I believe you can train anyone. And I've trained new salespeople who sales was their first job ever. They had never worked. They came fresh out of school. And I've learned that you can train anybody how to be an incredible salesperson, mm -hmm. but you can't train people how to have a strong integrity. You can't, I believe long-term you can help them make shifts, but when it comes to training new salespeople and onboarding people, you don't really have all the time to spend, especially with a startup or a new business or a, a small business. You can't be spending your time helping people develop their character. That's a long-term game. So I always hired people for character. You know, do I like working with this person? Is this person strong for the culture? Very critical. Is this person coachable? If they're coachable, they're strong for the culture, and I enjoy working with them. And not just me, because I there's times where I had a biased opinion on someone, but the team loved them and I learned to love them too. So it's important to have a sounding board of people, not just, again, it comes back to the ego. You don't always know what's best, right? Ask, yeah. ask the team, but character is what you hire for. And then you train them on how to sell. I've made many mistakes, especially at the beginning of my leadership journey, where I hired people who had 30 years of sales experience and, Oh, I've been in sales my whole life. I could sell anything to anybody. And you bring that person on and they show up late, they're negative, they they take advantage of the customer, and right. it's never good for business. And I learned through my own mistakes that that wasn't the best thing. Always hire the person who's got a great character. And the other thing I'll say, which is kind of vague, but it's important to go with your gut. If your gut tells you that somebody's not going to work out, hmm. let them flow by now. Don't even don't even bring don't bring them on because it's a lot harder to let people go than it is to bring them on. I think, I think Gary Vanderchuk says hire slow, but fire. No wait, fast. hire fast. No. Yeah. Hire, hire slow, but fast. Hire fast and fire faster. <laughs> you know, you can, you can prevent it from just taking the right amount of time to bring on the right people. And again, I'm not talking about this 
three, four week interview process. I'm talking about looking for the person's character traits and is this person coachable? And that, that's how I would answer that question. Perfect, perfect. So actually you've got a got out a very interesting point, especially around the culture. So uh, when it comes to any of, let's say an operations kind of a function, so there is very easy, right? So if somebody is not performing or it's not, you know, that culture fit isn't happening, it's very easy to fire a person. But when you compare that, especially in sales, what we tend to see even in my even in the startup that I was running, as soon as somebody starts delivering results, you tend to have three or I mean, you'll start thinking that should I really fire this guy, even though it may not be a cultural fit. So but at the end of the day, I think it leads to toxicity. But what's your take on this? Because you have failed, uh, you know, come across similar situations in the past. I learned from my direct leader, who was my mentor when I was 21. He helped me to upgrade my lifestyle. He helped me to escape depression in my life, which I'm forever grateful for. He had a process and I never understood it at the time mm -hmm. where he would go to any length possible to help somebody before he let somebody go. And he, and I would always say to him, why are you spending your time with this person? Why are you spending your time trying to help this person? They're continuously late. They're continuously not taking action on what you're helping them with. And he looked at me and he said, Brandon, if I let somebody go, I have to be able to go to sleep that night knowing that I did everything in my power to help this person become right for the team, to help this person become the right fit, to help this person grow in their own life. And the funny thing is when somebody wasn't performing in sales, and this goes into my 5P system, it's funny because I train sales teams and I train sales teams and I train sales professionals now from all across the world. And they come to me to sell more. They come to me to earn more money. But I always like to say I'm like the Trojan horse of sales trainers. You come to me for those things that I mentioned before, but what you actually end up getting is an upgrade in your lifestyle. What you actually end up getting is a focus on the areas of life that directly impact your sales performance. Because I believe if you want to become greater at sales, it's not necessarily just reading sales books. If you want to be great at sales, you need to look at the five key areas of your life, your emotions, your physical body, your finances, your spirituality, and your relationships. And the reality is if you have, if you have rough relationships at home, then when you come to the office, when you're having that conversation with a client, when you're, when you're doing the outreach, whether it's message or calling, do you think your performance is going to be there? If you're going through a divorce or if you're on the verge of divorce, you're not going to be showing up as your best self. Yet a lot of sales trainers just say, we need to get your numbers up. You need to focus on this. You need to put in more activity. It's like, why not ask the person, hey, do you mind me asking, is there anything going on in your life that's impacting your sales performance, right? Or if the person is significantly overweight, I can guarantee that that person is coming to work each day with not very much energy, right? Mm -hmm. Listen, I say this because I used to be 260 pounds. I'm 190 pounds now. And I used to have no energy. I used to be very unhappy when I looked at myself in the mirror. My lifestyle wasn't there. My power, which is the second P in my 5P system, the power wasn't there. I wasn't fueling my body with what it needed. I wasn't fueling my mind. A lot of people in sales, they're sitting at a desk all day. They're not fueling their body with the right foods and nutrition that they need because they're, they're just eating a fast lunch because they don't believe it's as important as making the extra sales call. 
nourishing your mind and nourishing your body is just as important as nourishing your customers. You can't pour from an empty cup. You need to work on yourself. You need to sharpen your own saw before you can put that effort and attention towards other people. So what this ties back to is you asked me, how do you help somebody who is faltering in their sales performance and when do you let them go? I take that first principle of I'll do everything in my power to help them and very rarely do I focus on sales itself. Most of the time, if someone is struggling with sales, there's something else that's going on in their life. I help them identify what that is and then I help them to make progress in that area. And usually that helps them to make more money and increase their sales at the same time. Excellent. So now I'm intrigued though, what are the five P's I believe is part of your philosophy? So can you just exp uh, explain a little more on that? Yeah, I'd love to. I can talk for hours on the five P's, but I'll give you a quick rundown. The last three are completely predicated on the first two. The first one is what 80% of people, maybe even 90% of people fail to have, including sales managers, sales teams, the people at the highest levels of leadership, a plan. You must have a plan both personally and professionally for where you want to head in your life and your business. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have targets, then you're constantly just going in this direction and that direction, wandering in every which direction. So a plan is the first one. The second one is important in order for you to execute on the plan. I already mentioned it to you. It's your personal power. It's how you nourish your mind. It's how you nourish your body. It's how you feed your body. It's the food you eat. It's how, you, how much movement you get. The, the fitness aspect was the first thing I worked on when I was 260 pounds. I was depressed. I was overweight. I wasn't a leader. I didn't have the respect or the trust of my team. I had to work on my fitness and that impacted every single other key area of my life. So how can you work a plan if you don't have the power? How can you operate in the last three P's if you don't have the power to do it? So creating a plan, having the power. The third one is identifying your purpose identifying what's unique about you, what's special about you. Going back to what we talked about earlier, what have you always been great at since a young age? What have you always enjoyed doing? I was always an educator. I always loved to ask questions and listen. Another superpower of mine is curiosity. I'm talking a lot right now, but that's because during this short time together, I want to make sure that we give as much value to those listening. But if you listen to my show, I, I do my best not to talk a lot because I'm curious. I want to ask great questions and learn just like you're so expertly doing, Kashik. So three is purpose, right? Identify that because everything after that must align with your purpose in order for you to truly be fulfilled in your life. And that's a very vague term fulfillment, but it's possible when you wake up every single morning and you love what you do because you have a plan, you have the power to fuel it, and you've got the purpose that all of it's run around. The fourth P is surrounding yourself with the right people, networking wise, relationships wise. And the fifth P is making progress. Every single day, a lot of people create a goal and first, congratulations for creating it because a lot of people don't even have goals. A lot of people don't even have a plan. Right. However, in order to achieve that goal, a lot of people think they just have to throw everything at it and immediately achieve it. When in reality, the greatest achievers, most of them have the same things that they do every day. They have a routine. They make 1% progress every single day. So the fifth P is progress growing 1% each day, doing one thing each day that aligns with your purpose and that helps you to move closer to fulfilling and achieving your plan because it's not achieving the plan that will make you happy. It's the progress on the way to achieving it and the journey itself 
that that you're going to remember when you're 80 years old, 90 years old, not just the goal that you achieved. So that's the framework of the five P's. Fantastic. So we actually have quite a few similarities. So for example, uh, even I believe in this philosophy that try and improve one person every day and you'll be 37 times better by the end of the year. So, mm. and I actually do have a plan of writing a book. I'm not sure when, but you already have authored a book, right? Uh, so, yes. And I believe it's called Be Extraordinary. And interestingly, you've got the picture of a brain on a cover. So keeping in mind that my podcast is also brain box. So that's why it's, yeah. oh, it's really interesting. So how was the experience? So what's the, you know, how was the experience of writing the book? Was it self-published? And when is, when are you writing the next one? Oh my God. I think what you're going to find when you write your book is you have so many things that you want to include in this book and you have a plan going into the book. But once you create that outline and once you create the overall thesis of what the outcome is of this written piece of work, is you sit down to write it and this outside force begins to flow through you into your fingers as you type or as you write this book. Like I read my book now, like I'm not the guy who reads my own book, but I, I look through it every now and then because it's been a couple of years since I published it. Mm -hmm. And I read things and I'm like, did I write this? I don't remember writing this, right? Because it wasn't even as if I wrote it because I had a message and it was aligned with my purpose. And when you do works that are aligned with your purpose, I believe this outside force comes into play, whether you are religious or whether you believe in God or the universe or infinite intelligence. When you are aligned with your purpose and you take that 1% action every single day, like you said, that's 37% growth each year, mm -hmm. then you'll notice that this outside force comes to aid you. So the process for me was incredible. It was tiring because, you know, I spent most of my days writing the book. Now I would do it differently. If I had to write the next one, I would actually have a routine and ritual in place. At the time I didn't, I just, I did it when I had the time to do it. Mm -hmm. But the book is all about self-mastery and it's all about the five key areas of life and how to transform your life using those five key areas based on my own personal journey. So the book is split into five key areas, your emotions, your physical body, your finances, relationships, and spirituality. My advice is pick the one area that you need to focus on first. Flip to that chapter, read the chapter. It's only a hundred pages to book because I wanted to make it digestible for most people who, who aren't accustomed to reading traditional books. Pick the chapter that makes the most sense for you. Read it, take the challenge at the end, and it's a seven-day challenge. And by the end of that week, you're going to start to notice significant improvements in your own life, which is going to help you with your sales. It's going to help you with your leadership. And it's going to help you with all the relationships in your, your own personal life. Fantastic. I'm picking up the book tomorrow, though. It sounds amazing. <laughs> I hope you uh, enjoy it. Let oh, me know I'm how you like it. Certainly, certainly. So was this uh, published? I mean, Or are you planning to self-publish the next one? I self-published it because a lot of my work is with sales companies and okay. I wanted the freedom of being able to disperse the book however I'd like, having ultimate freedom with the book, being able to market the book in the ways that I wanted to market the book, not through traditional publishing. You know, I'm, I'm no expert when it comes to publishing, but I know people who've published their book who've said that they wish they self-published. I know there's perks to publishing, but I believe in this world that we're in now with our ability to literally write a book and have it published ourselves sure. within a few weeks, we have infinite power 
to market however we see fit, to reach whoever we see fit, to communicate. I mean, we're living on different continents, Kaushik, yet we're having a conversation right now in real time. The world, especially the world of books, is very different now. So what I'll say is if there's anyone listening who's ever said, you know, I've always wanted to write a book, but I don't even know where to start. Search on YouTube, how do I write a book in 2022? And you're going to find so many different videos that will help you to, to write that book. And you can practically do all of the steps yourself. You don't have to rely on outside sources or, or outside publishers. But that's just how I did it. And I know it's going to be different for, for everybody. True. And in case you could go back in time and give your, you know, an 18 or 24-year-old self some advice. So what would that be? It would be similar to what I mentioned earlier. Give, give, give. Focus on building relationships and networking with the right people. Surrounding yourself with the right people who are on their own path of growth. Getting yourself in communities of people where you're not the best salesperson in the room. You're not the smartest person in the room. And then doing whatever you can not to take, but to give whatever you can to those people in whatever way you can to help them because it always comes back to you. If I knew this when I was 18, I probably wouldn't have gone through all those mistakes and failures that I went through and that emotional roller coaster that I was on when I was 21 years old. But at the same time, if I didn't go through that experience of my life, if I didn't go through that pain, then it's very likely that we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Absolutely. So I believe everything does happen for a reason. I believe everything has a meaning, a positive meaning behind it. But if I had started to give and focus on giving when I was 18, oh my, man, I could have totally transformed my life. I, I'd be in a very different place, but I'm grateful to be where I am now. But that's the advice I'd give myself. Fantastic. And the final question, and actually one of my favorites, and it's in line with the five P's that you also mentioned, the plan. So where do you see yourself, let's say, 10 years from now? I see myself having, I have one person on my team now, mm -hmm. and I see myself having a team of 10 people. I'm not looking to, to grow into 50, 200, 250 people. I'm looking to have a team of 10 people who I trust with my life, mm -hmm. who helps to give this message to as many salespeople, entrepreneurs, business owners as possible. Because I realize that the more business owners that I'm reaching, the more people that they're impacting, the more people that they're helping to transform their life through their own services and products. And my goal is to be a beacon of light for as many people as possible to help as many people positively transform their life. 10 years from now, there will be even more of a catalog and library of content and I just want to be able to be 80, 90 years old, Kaushik, or however, however long I live. Maybe it's 40, and if so, I got to get to work. But I just want to be able to say on my deathbed that everything I did aligned with my purpose and that my life had meaning while I was here. That's my ultimate mission, is to make as much of a positive difference as possible in any way I can. Absolutely fantastic, Brandon. Thank you so much for having taken out the time, Brandon. Really appreciate it, especially with the time difference as well. Uh, loved your insights, especially around sales and all the similarities as well. I'm sure you will make Be Better Industries as one of the best and you'll have phenomenal success going forward. And of course, we will be syncing for probably further uh, podcasts as well. But thank you so much for having taken out the time. It was a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Kashik, And I commend you for your excellent questions. Uh, one thing I want to say while we're live, because it's important for everyone to hear, 
I, I've been on many shows and have had many conversations and the research that you do beforehand, Kashik, shows that you truly care about your listeners and it shows that you respect and care about your guests too. So I commend you for asking great questions, for researching, and it's very clear to me that you care and are passionate about what you do. So thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's an honor. Thanks so much, Brandon. Appreciate it. If you liked this Brainbox podcast, do subscribe to our LinkedIn newsletter and follow our Brainbox Media LinkedIn page, where we host our LinkedIn live shows, our Menza channel, and Twitter spaces. With the very rare combination of excellent sales and targeted marketing, we've built startups from scratch and know how to build brands. You can reach out to me directly on linkedin.com slash in slash kaushik hyphen boss.